So I think Rob 2.0 is somebody that could be a lot more disciplined in a lot more ways than he is right now. Mm. It's probably somebody who does well enough uh, financially, but could probably be blowing this out even two to three times uh, what I'm doing per month right now if the energy is focused. What's up, my friend, and welcome to the Dan Go Show. I'm your host, Dan Go, coach to high-performing entrepreneurs and professionals. And what we do at the Dan Go Show is tease out the best practices of the highest-performing entrepreneurs in the world while sharing cutting-edge, evidence-based information to help you become healthier and wealthier. So if that's what you're into, you're in the right place. Click that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts so every time one of my episodes goes live, you'll be the first to know. What is up, and welcome to the podcast. And yeah, it's uh, this one was an incredible conversation. So uh, the guy that I have on today, his name is Rob Smith. Uh, one would consider him to be a political commentator. I, I consider him to be uh, like an influencer, but uh, but one that has actually been through a ton of shit uh, to get to where he is right now. So, so he has over 400,000 followers on uh, Instagram and Twitter. But aside from that, uh, you know, Rob comes from a, a background where not many people make it out. And in this conversation that we have with each other, we talk about uh, pretty much like the whole aspect of betting on yourself, how his physical transformation has affected his mental and spiritual transformation, and also uh, a couple of the things that make that is uh, that is Rob's mission and what he's making uh, his mission to be Rob 2.0. So if you are listening to this and it's your first time, please do us do me a favor and subscribe. Uh, would love to hit these up in your mailbox or in your podcast box or whatever it is uh, whenever they come out. And uh, and yeah, here's the intro or actually not the intro the <laughs> the interview I have with Rob Smith. Uh, hope you enjoy it. All right, we got Rob Smith here, and Rob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you. No, thanks for having me, brother. It's uh, anything for Dan Go. So. <laughs> I appreciate that. We've been uh, been working uh, together for a little bit. Uh, we've been able to see each other's uh, idiosyncrasies to to a large extent, and uh, and I enjoy all the conversations that uh, we have between each other. They are quite enjoyable. So, you know, I wanted to ask you. It's like. You know, when you go to all these events and when you meet all these people and, and people ask you what you do, what is it that you tell them? Man, you know what I what I've started saying is I'm just a, a political commentator. You know, it, it's very weird because a lot of people don't understand um, the economics of when you have a social media brand that's built yeah. on you know politics or lifestyle, or whatever. Um, I, I think that people are just like, basically, they want to ask you how you make your money without asking you how you make your money because they don't understand it, right? It's true. Um, and so when people ask me what I do, I just say, you know, I say that I'm a political commentator and I appear a lot on Fox News. Yeah. And for me, that says everything that it needs to say about my politics, um, about, you know, where I fall on that aisle or whatever. And, you know, when their eyes sort of widen up, when they 
whatever and they're surprised yeah. i'm just like you know this is what i do and no i'm not really trying to talk about it yeah. uh, if we're at a social situation so i just say political commentator interesting and then and then what got you into being uh, or you know being this political commentator and you know because you're having conversation before this you're having conversation about being in the politics realm mm-hmm. and how kind of like weird it can be uh, i'm obviously in the fitness realm so you know don't get as much uh of that energy over my mm-hmm. way, but you know, in your case, you know, what kind of driven you to, or what drove you to, uh, be in the sphere of politics in the first place? Okay, so uh, I mean, it, it's a long story. Like it goes back the better part of a decade. So long yeah. story short, um, because I was one of those people that kind of has just transitioned from liberal to um, center right. I don't know if you want to call it conservative, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Back when I was on the left, so I was a um, you know young gay guy. Had um, served in the military for for five years under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which was the law that said that you can't be openly gay and serve in the military, right? So I got involved in left-wing politics um, a little over a decade ago in the fight to sort of repeal that law. Um, was arrested at the White House, at the Obama White House, protesting Don't Ask, Don't Tell. We got it removed, all of that other stuff. So that was kind of like my first entree into politics. Um, then I sort of got into the journalism realm, right? Mm. And, and I use journalism in quotes because, as we all know, that is that is a, a dying industry that is yes. being exposed every single day at this point. But yes. I wanted to do it. I started blogging. Uh, I eventually went to Columbia University. So I uh, have a graduate degree in uh, journalism from Columbia University. But here's what happened. My politics started to shift a little. And how I got from being just basically some nobody blogger or journalist with zero social media platform to somebody that has a fairly large platform right now is I literally just started running my mouth on social media, which (laughs) is funny enough how lots of people um, got famous. Um, But I think that with me, I had a lot of traditional media skills. I also have a lot of editing skills. So when I was running my mouth on Twitter, I was also making videos to put on my Instagram. So my Instagram, anybody wants to go at Rob Smith Online, it's like pretty much 99% video. And so the Instagram and the videos on the Instagram account is what really sort of blew me up. And this all started around 2018. This was a midterm year. This was at the height of sort of Trump hysteria. Mm. And this all happened for me very, very quickly. It's almost like it's something that I've got whiplash about just thinking about. I went from making, I was um, producing at Fox Business at the time. I was not on camera at all. Mm. I went from doing that to making videos on social media to just going viral over and over and over again. Um, to getting linked with, you know, Turning Point USA and getting linked with uh, the Trump campaign and all this. It was just crazy how it happened. It happened very, very quickly. And all of a sudden, you're just around some very, very, very high profile people as a result of this sort of name that I'd made for myself um, via social media. Well, And I so feel- that's how oh, all sorry. this happened. Yeah. So actually, like, you know, the thing is, is that it, it does happen fast. Uh you know, it kind of happens overnight, but then I don't necessarily consider you to be an overnight success. Oh, not at all. Uh, not at all. Because, uh, so, you know, I was reading your book, you know, always a soldier and you were all like, you actually came from school, very hardworking. You had a 4.0 GPA and then you actually decided to do the army training and then you were yes. actually sent off to Iraq afterwards. Yes. Like when I, when I think about that, it's like, you actually had a frontline view 
to to both the politics to like basically politics to belief and to kind of like the government all in like one shot. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you had like a like a almost like a I guess you could say a, a one not a one eighty, but you you were basically in the thick of it. And one thing I want to ask you was you know what was what was behind that decision to join the army because. I know that you were using it to get to college, but was there any other reasons why you decided to uh, join the army in the first place? Well, you, you know, you have to understand, Dan, and this is kind of what a lot of people don't understand or misunderstand about me is that I, I'm from Akron, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing there. It was at the point when I was growing up, it was very much working class or lower middle class, but it, it just, there's nothing there. Hmm. And I went to terrible public schools almost my entire life. I went to the kind of public schools where somebody like me, who was, you know, a fairly smart kid that was into books and all that stuff, they don't know what to do with, they don't know what to do with the black <laughs> kid unless he can dribble a basketball or throw a football. Uh, okay. So yeah. be, they, had no, they had no idea what to do with me. Um, I wasn't on my way to college after high school, which is where I should have been. So there was just nothing going on. And I just remember I was very young at the time. I mean, when I went to the military, I was 17 and a half. Hmm. And I just remember looking to my left and looking to my right and knowing that I just have to get out of here. I have to get out of Akron, Ohio. I have to get out of this space. There's nothing for me here. If I stay here, there's just nothing that's going to happen. Right. Mm. So a lot of that informed my decision to go into the military mm. and the decision was definitely, you know, I wanted to to eventually get to college and, and all that stuff. But honestly, I just wanted to get out and I knew that there was something, there was something else out there for me. Yeah. And I, I remember in I your book, to, sorry, I, sorry. I remember in your book, you actually oh, yeah. were dealing with one of these uh, army barracks guys and then he was like, do you want to leave? And you're like, I, I just don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. That, that yeah. was my, uh, my drill sergeant. And he was, <laughs> and you know, looking back, man, those men were hard on me. They were hard on me, but Hell you yeah. know what? Like looking back at that, they weren't doing it. And these are, you know, white, you know, drill sergeant from the South. And, and if you, you know, read the book, um, there was a uh, there was a black drill sergeant that kind of came in and and honestly I got to tell you these men taught me how to be a man. Mm. These guys taught me how to be a man. These guys taught me about discipline. These guys taught me about hard work. These guys weren't picking on me, you know. Even though I was an easy target because I was heavier and I'd just been raised by a single mother and there was so much about being a man that I did not know. They were like, "We can whip this kid into shape. We can make him something." Mm. And when I had that experience with the drill sergeant and I told him, I, I had nowhere else to go. If, if I go home, what am I going to do? I, I'm going to go back to, to waiting tables. I think I was waiting tables at Denny's at the time. So there was nowhere for me to go. And that was the turning point in my training. And I, something just snapped. And, you know, I, I just started executing and, and I ended up being one of the strongest soldiers uh, by the end of by the end of training, yeah, uh, I remember uh, a specific story where where it was almost like the Rocky montage behind it, and um, you know you weren't necessarily the most athletic, you weren't even the best, and uh, a lot of people were actually were like, "Hey, this guy's like holding us back," and then you ended up becoming uh, the one of the most athletic. You started passing people when you're running, yeah, and, and people started to get pissed at you <laughs> in regards yeah. to that. <laughs> they, that's a that's a common theme. A common theme of my life is uh, 
<laughs> people get like being around people and then them, them getting mad when I get successful. But, but here's <laughs> the thing. Um, when you are told, and I'm just going to be completely honest, like when you are told that you are a POS your entire life, which I was, by the way, by family, okay, by parent, like all of that other stuff. Like there was some, if you know, you read the book, so so you know the stuff that I went through. And I don't really talk about all of the the physical abuse and the emotional, like I don't really talk about all that stuff a lot because like that stuff doesn't define me, but it is there. And it's something that informs how you see yourself, even to this day, right? You know, I have to sort of battle these voices that live in my head because in those primary years, you were told that you were fat. You were told that um, even though I was doing well in school, oh, you will, you know, you're just book smart. You're not street smart. And and these are the things that I'm told by my family. I was always a black sheep. I always just like did not fit in. Hmm. And so these things start coloring how you see yourself. And I had to flip that stuff around. And and I started seeing myself as a winner when I started winning. And it's a, it's a process that I still go through every single day at this point in my life. You and I talked before the podcast about some transitions that I'm going through yes. um, right now, career-wise, personal, all of that stuff. And they are uncomfortable. Yeah. And I have to look at myself in the mirror and literally say, like, you're Rob Smith. Look at where you are. Look at how far you've come. You will get through this. Okay, so let's take it there. Um, when you're making these transitions into, uh, you know, right? Actually, I read on, on your Twitter, it was like Rob Smith 2.0, right? And all these, like, old thoughts, beliefs, programming from before, they pop up. Uh, what are some things that, that you do to keep yourself on the even keel, to keep yourself focused and, and to actually make yourself believe that you can actually attain this next level that you're going for? Yeah. Well, one thing that I do, Dan, is um, I limit my booze. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I limit my booze. Hmm. And through, you know, the, the physical stuff, and, and we'll probably get to that a little bit later, yeah. but literally... And when I say these things, I don't, I'm not preaching at anybody. I'm saying what I know to be true, which is that alcohol is very much a depressant. Mm. And when I overconsume alcohol, those things start popping back up, those negative thoughts. So like I'm going through a divorce right now. And so if I'm drinking too much, those negative thoughts, like you'll never be loved again, or maybe that was the best they'd ever get, or what are you doing? Um, going through some career transitions right now, when I, if I'm going heavy on the booze, those thoughts, you're never going to do anything. Mm. That was probably as good as it's going to get all of that stuff. So literally how I keep those, those thoughts at bay is to limit my booze (laughs) and put this energy into physical fitness, just like Mm. how I look and how I feel. And, and honestly, right now, that is how I keep what I call the demons. That's how I keep those voices at bay. That's how I tell them to go F off. <laughs> and it's so funny because people use alcohol and other uh, substances, uh, both virtual and physical, as a way to suppress. But what yes. they don't realize is that those suppressions come back even harder. Yep. And even just like uh, like the whole idea of like, alcohol and for you limiting the booze to me it actually is a signal of you being like yo 
I'm, I'm going through this transition. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need the entire entirety of myself yeah. in, and my energy in this decision. So most people would actually like start drinking. They would start kind of like doing like all sorts of things. You actually went the other way. Uh, well, you know, we'll talk well, about man, it. I'm, yeah. I'm going the other way now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> two, two, two years later. Cause I yes. spent, I spent two years doing all of that. Okay. Yeah. So what was the trigger for you? Like, uh, so, you know, two years, um, you know, we talked about this, uh, between each other. Uh, yeah. this is not just the first transition. You've been going through many transitions, one of a relationship, one through, uh, a possible business that, uh, didn't necessarily pan out as you wanted to. So yeah. what exactly triggered you to be like, all right, fuck all this. I'm, I'm going to start uh, taking care of myself and going to start doing it. Um, you know, what really triggered me, what really triggered it is, you know, I was living in, in Tampa at the time when I was going through all this stuff and I was just, I was spending my time, I was spending a lot of my time around perhaps not the best people to be around, right. Mm. For mental, physical, spiritual health, all of that other stuff. And I knew that it was time for me to leave Tampa. I knew it was time for me to leave that area for a lot of different reasons. I was not being inspired there. Um, I was bored. I wasn't looking to my left and my right and seeing people that I wanted to emulate in any capacity. Right. So I was like, I knew it was time to go. And I knew that I wanted to go to Miami and check that out a little bit. But I also knew that I was going to go back to New York. And there was a part of me that said, so I moved to New York, you know, in, in the early aughts, like around, you know, 2009, 2010 era. And there is something that I moved to New York to do that I still haven't specifically done. Mm -hmm. And that is to really crush it like as a media figure. And that's what I moved to New York to do. And so I was like, okay, if I know that I'm leaving this place that is uninspiring to me, and I know that my physical self, my physical and mental self right now is completely reflective of the space that I'm in, where I'm hanging out with a bunch of people and all we're doing is drinking and I am Uber eating Taco Bell three times a like, week. Disgusting, right? Uh-huh. And so I'm, I'm physically, I'm the physical manifestation of where I'm at right now. Mm. And I knew that if I was going to go back to New York and I was going to go to Miami, they're going to require me to be at a physical level that is beyond this. Mm. Like if I, I'm not playing with, I'm not playing in the mud with pigs anymore. I'm going to Miami and New York and this is where the big dogs roll. And if you want to fuck with the Eagles, you got to learn to fly. (laughs) And I had to learn how to fly. And I had to learn that flying was not getting wasted. It was not skipping workouts. It was not drinking on a Tuesday. It was not Uber eating Taco Bell. It was not punishing myself with food and things that were bad for me in a way. So what has, like, you went through an incredible transformation. We have the before and afters to, uh, to show the entire world. Uh, I'm you still went not all the way show. after yet, though. I yeah, want to take another after. Well, the after is just so ongoing. You know, it just yeah, never yeah. stops, man. It just never stops. Uh, you know, but uh, you, you've, you've made some incredible physical and mental changes as a result of really putting the focus in into your body. Now, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned uh, through going through this body transformation? Um, okay, so the body transformation, the biggest lesson that I've really learned is I think the most fundamental lesson is to not seek comfort in food and alcohol. Mm-hmm. 
It really is. I mean, this is something like my body, my physical fitness, this is something that I don't want to say I've struggled with my entire life, but it's something that I've dealt with for a very long time. And the biggest lesson that I learned over, you know, this transformation, you and I working together, I believe that we, I I was working in your program for about four months. It took, Mm -hmm. it it, it did take that four months and and probably, you know, a couple more months on my own to really get it on point. But yeah, it's not to eat or drink my feelings. And that is fun. And it seems so simple, but when you have gone for so long saying, dealing with stress with food and booze, it's a transition um, to go the other way around to say, I'm going to deal with this stress by exercise. Mm-hmm. I, I am, I'm trying to move into doing more meditation and stuff like that. But for right now, like I deal with, with stress by going hardcore in the gym and just exercising more. And that, and that's what I do. That was the biggest step. Um, and number two, and I know I'm harping on this alcohol, but number two, the biggest lesson is that alcohol does not serve me at the level that I was drinking at. Now, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not advocating for sober living or whatever. Um, But I know that there is a level to which I can have a couple of cocktails, sort of like relax a little bit if I'm trying to have fun. Mm. And then there's a level where it goes overboard, where I know I'm going to be dealing with the mental and physical effects of how much I have drunk for the next three to five days afterwards. I do not like being there anymore. So I know, and I'm very um, present with my drinking and my consumption that I know how is this going to affect me in the next couple of days. And thirdly, I think um, physically, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that you got to eat to, you got to eat clean to get lean. Mm. The mm-hmm. bo- the transformation in my body that I saw, and in some ways that maybe I'm not particularly seeing right now because I haven't focused on my protein intake and all that stuff over the past couple of weeks. But when I focus on that protein intake that, that you and your team were like, <laughs> I was so resistant. I was very resistant to the idea of eating more to put on muscle and to get leaner. Yeah. yeah. You guys got me out of that though, because I had yeah. to see it for myself. Yeah, man. And I remember, um, you were very like into, I mean, like spin classes are fun and yes. that's great. It's something you enjoy, but putting that emphasis into the strength training portion of things, I feel like it brought out an animal in you. Yeah. Right. It's just, it just turned it like, it didn't turn you into a different person, but like, as we were talking about with Rob 2.0, it was just one of those things that just like brought out a different, uh, kind of like a different part of you to a large extent. And, um, when it comes to the alcohol, my number is like at most two and also the timing as well. If it's like, yeah, if it's like three or even if it's like three hours before I go to sleep, I know that one, it's going to affect my sleep Two, my sleep is going to get messed up. Then I'm going to feel like crap the day afterwards. And I also will maybe have a hangover as well. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to, my mood's going to be affected. My energy's going to be affected. Mm-hmm. And then you and I, like we got, we got missions, man. You know, we got things that we got to accomplish. So, you know, sometimes like the, 
what I call the second and third order consequences of drinking alcohol or drinking too much alcohol is it's just not freaking worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so not, I, you, I mean, yeah. you don't get that. You, you're not getting anything done. Yeah. And what, are you, done and what are you really doing? You know, when it comes to alcohol, right? What are we really trying to do? Are we trying to uh, let loose and have a good time and release inhibitions and all this stuff? And, and again, I'm not against alcohol whatsoever. I drink my old fashions here and there and whatnot, but yeah. But, you know, what are we trying to do? You know, why do we need it? And uh, yeah, yeah. like, uh, what did you find when you kind of like got off of alcohol a little bit? Like when you're going into these social situations and not necessarily acting the same as you would before? Well, here's the thing. What I've noticed is that if I'm in social situations and I'm not drinking, number one, I just I'm a chatterbox when I'm sober. So I talk a lot. But what I've also noticed is that I'm sort of this peppier, more fun, more energetic version of myself when I am sober. Mm. So it's almost like, and I'll go through sober periods. I like going through a week and a half. I like going through at least one weekend full on sober a month, you know, and just still being social and still having that interaction. Um, So I've noticed that I'm sort of like a happier, peppier version of myself. And one thing that I've noticed as well really turning down the drinking Mm -hmm. is, and this is no judgment, but it's just how much others drink. Mm. And especially if you're hanging out with some friends and you're going like, you, you know, if I'm in New York city on a Saturday, I've got a group of friends and, you know, we're going from brunch to the bars and hanging out or whatever. And I'm very mindful of my alcohol alcohol intake at this point, at this point on a Saturday, maybe three to four cocktails. And I'm talking about throughout the course of a day. So mm-hmm. I'm talking about between 12 PM and like 9 PM. So, and what I've also noticed is that spreading them out and drinking water and eating clean during the day, even if you are being social, it's helping my body uh, metabolize, I guess the alcohol. So whatever mm-hmm. negative effects, I'm not going to be feeling as much. But you do notice that people just, I mean, they pound these drinks out and you just, you see people and it's like, man, you know, the, like you're on drink like 12 yeah. at this point. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's wild. What do you feel about that? Cause I do feel like, uh, especially in the, like say social circles, if it's yeah. an entrepreneurial circle, or even if it's like, uh, hanging with other people in the politics circle, alcohol is a huge part of that of that experience Mm -hmm. so so what have you kind of like felt and noticed uh when you're hanging in this and you're watching everybody drink so much and you're kind of like controlling your intake like what are just some of the lessons or some of the things that you've seen and experienced um you know uh, one of my new rules is that i i generally don't tend to drink at political functions Mm. um unless it's something that's really on like a friday or saturday night if I'm at a political function, then I am working in some capacity. I do not do these things for fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I'm at a political function, I'm working, which means that I really shouldn't be drinking. And so for me, I'll just get a club soda with lime, have a splash of cranberry in it, and people will just think that you're drinking. So you don't have that, oh, you're not drinking. Oh, you should have a drink. That's one thing that I yeah. just... That's, you know, being pressured to drink in social situations is is a subtle annoyance, but it's just something that people do. And I think that they're not trying to sabotage you. They're very, yeah. you know, well-meaning. Yeah. Um, but I think that's how I deal with it, sort of like in those 
workplace function situations. I would just prefer not to drink, or if I do, I mean, just a very small glass of red wine that I likely won't even finish. But I really do try not to drink Monday through Thursday. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, the body transformation, uh, the mental transformation, the spiritual transformation. So, you know, you mentioned this uh, again on your Twitter. I'm going to bring it up again. What does uh, Rob 2.0 mean to you now? Rob 2.0 means to me, and this is, you know, this is a process. I'm not about, uh, I think I'm about like Rob (laughs) 1.59 at this point. Um, Rob 2.0. It's a lot of different things, man. It's control of finances, control of body, control of mind, control of spirit, uh, control of spirituality. And it's thinking about this person that I want to become. In some ways, I'm on the path. In some ways, you know, I get sidetracked sometimes. Um, So I think Rob 2.0 is somebody that could be a lot more disciplined in a lot more ways than he is right now. Mm. It's probably somebody who does well enough uh, financially, but could probably be blowing this out even two to three times uh, what I'm doing per month right now. If the energy is focused spiritually, Rob 2.0 is somebody that is trying to nurture a strong, stronger connection to God and spirituality, because that is an important part of my life. And I feel, you know, I have a church in New York city. And obviously when I'm not in New York, I'm I'm not going to that church, but when I'm in New York, I go and I feel the difference. Hmm. I feel the difference in being in that space and just worshiping for an hour and a half, two hours on a Sunday. It is a, a positive and spiritual and affirming space. And also, Rob 2.0, and this is what I like to tell people as well. If you are searching for, and look, we all have career goals. We all have financial goals. You're a career and financial goal-driven guy. Yeah. But if you are searching for something outside of yourself um, and outside of spirituality and outside of some very basic things to make you happy, you will never find that. Um, If I get to the point where I'm making a million dollars a year, It'll be a goal that I checked off. I don't know if that's going to fulfill me. You know, pe- people think uh, mm. back in the day, you used to think, oh, when I publish a book, that's going to make me happy. I published the book. It did great. The book is there. Oh, when you get on TV, that's going to make you happy. I'm on national television three to five times a week. That doesn't make me happy. That is work that I like, that I enjoy, that I know I'm good at. But that's not spiritual fulfillment. Mm. And that's kind of what I try to tell some of the younger people that that look up to me and follow my stuff. It's great that you want to be like me or that you want to be a political commentator or whatever, but don't attach your happiness to a number of Twitter followers or a number of Facebook uh, fans or people coming up to you on the street and asking for selfies and all that stuff. That stuff is great, yeah, but that's not spiritual happiness. Yeah. So, so what types of things uh, bring you fulfillment in life right now? Like, I know that you have your spirituality practice, going to church. Yeah. Uh, you have your physical practice. If you were to double down on on the things that uh, give you the most fulfillment, what would those things be for you? That's an interesting question. You know what? That's something that I'm still working on. Hmm. I do enjoy fitness a lot. Um, I enjoy how it makes me feel. I enjoy how it makes me look. I I just, it it just informs everything about me. But honestly, Dan, I have to tell you that 
to get to this level and to get to the level where I'm at has required so much intense focus and so much tunnel vision and so much sacrifice over the past four years. I mean, I've lost friends. Um, You know, this, my career is not the reason I'm going through a divorce, but it is one of those things that, you know, it it caused some tension, you know, in, in my marriage that didn't work out. And honestly, what I'm looking at right now is men need hobbies Mm. and I need to develop my hobbies again. I need to figure out things that make me happy and things that I enjoy doing that are not about making money or that are not about building my brand or that are not about, you know, impressing other people, just things that bring me joy. And I need to rediscover that. Are there any things that come to mind in terms of uh, hobbies uh, for you that you want to pursue? I, um, realized a little bit later in life that I actually am athletic. Yeah. I do enjoy playing tennis. I don't get a chance to do it a lot. Uh, I may join a league in New York City in the fall. I used to love bowling. I've bowled my entire life. That was fun. Um, I haven't done that in a long time. Uh, you know, I was a bit of a theater kid. I've always enjoyed that aspect of, of just art and creativity. Mm. Um I, I want to focus, you know, on on just things that are more interesting outside of the things that I'm doing that are career oriented. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that you say like you never consider yourself an athlete. I, I really think every, everyone's an athlete in their own yeah. right. It's just they haven't, you know, they haven't really took the time to figure it out in yeah. the first place. There's there's one thing I would throw in there for you. Um, and it's actually something that I've been doing for myself, which is, uh, the aspect of, uh, either kind of doing some sort of boxing lessons, kickboxing lessons oh, yeah. or, uh, Brazilian jujitsu. It just, it just brings like such a different element. Um, yeah. and it just kind of like, uh, gets you out of your body and kind of like into this like mode of, of being a conflict, but not being a conflict. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's just. It's just a really cool visceral feeling now. I think that's a good idea. And um, yeah. I, that's something that I've been interested in as well, because I had some like I got into a fist fight, some yes. crazed Saw that. leftist like attacked me. When yeah. I was in, what was that um, about? LA. How was that, that like, actually? Um, it was very, it was it was bizarre to me. Like, it was crazy that I am somebody that says things. Yeah. And it is crazy to me that when you are somebody that says things, and you are you say things that like I'm not the type of person that is supposed to have the beliefs that I have. Mm. All right. So because I don't fit in people's boxes and the fact that I am this person and this was this was like some this was some some gay guy. Mm. And the fact that I am this person that does not think in the way that he thought that I should think. And it drove him into like literally this violent rage. It was absolutely insane. It was pretty shocking to me. Like it was pretty crazy. And, you know, I, I can defend myself. Like, I don't have no, a glass jar or anything, but I was like, man, this is wild. And yeah. honestly, at that point, it really did make me think twice about um, broadcasting where I am in the world exactly yeah. where I'm when I'm there. So I just got back from uh, New Orleans over the weekend. I didn't post anything about I tend not to post things from cities until I'm gone. Yeah. You know, unless I'm in New York and, you know, people know that I'm in New York or whatever, because, you know, people are crazy. And 
I'm not the type of guy that attracts death threat energy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that are much bigger than me that attract that kind of energy. And I would never want their lives in a million years because I do not want that energy. I don't want that life. And I'm not ready to make those sacrifices for the sake of whatever. Well, you're very, you know, opinion. Actually, you're a very opinionated guy on, um, on social media. And, uh, you know, sometimes I can, I can understand, and especially like when people just get so like caught up, uh, in their own beliefs of like, this is right, this is wrong. And then they, they would go to the point of trying to physically accost you. I mean, that's just, that's just nuts. Yeah. It was crazy, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of people right now, Dan, that are, and let's not even talk about like. We can take it outside of politics. There are cultural issues that are going on in this country right now. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that are very, very angry. There are a lot of people that are on a lot of substances. There are a lot of people that do not have a lot of fun, that don't live a great life. And they're receiving a lot of messages that are telling them that, since your life is not good and you're not making this money and you're not living the life that you think that you should be living, that it's this other person's fault Mm. because they're doing this or they're voting this way or they believe that or they do whatever, right? And this could go for no matter what you believe on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's a lot of people that are really hurting in this country right now. Yeah. I really do believe that. And I speak as an American. There's a lot of people that are really hurting. And yeah. I think that for me, for the people that listen to me or follow me, you know, I'm definitely going to keep it all the way real when it comes to my political beliefs and all that stuff. But I want people to tune out of a lot of the noise that is telling us who we are supposed to be or what we are supposed to think or, you know, just this idea of just like, oh, that positivity and just, you know, smoke all this weed. It'll make you feel better. Mm. Drink all this booze. It'll make you feel better. Don't go to church because only those Jesus freaks go to church. You know, uh, follow this musician or, or, or think like this, that'll make you happy. It's, it's, it's bullshit, Dan. It's, It's not real. And we have a lot of people. And like I said, this is irrespective of what your political beliefs are. Because there are people on the right and the left in this country that are getting the same messaging from people that do not have their best interests at heart. Mm. If uh, if you could reimagine the entire political system, then, and also this, like, I'll lump the media system into there as well because they are both part and parcel to uh, pushing narratives and to pushing the narratives that certain sides want. If you could reimagine everything. And, uh, and make everything work somewhat cohesively, what, what would you do? What changes would you make? Um, you know, media and politics cannot be reimagined, Dan. <laughs> it, is a, it is a completely broken system. So okay? just to get rid of it, all of it altogether. I don't even want to say get rid of it. I like media and politics. I mean, it's how I make my money. It serves me very, very well. Hmm. The, what needs to be reimagined is people's media literacy. And what needs to be imagined is is reimagined is the rate at which people consume this stuff, mm. what they're consuming, how they're consuming, who they're consuming it from, and how skeptical they are about the messages that they are receiving. 
And so that's what it's all about. There's a reason why I was going to run for Congress, and I've talked to a lot of my followers about this. I mean, we shot an ad in everything. And for, for three weeks, I couldn't sleep. I could not sleep for three weeks. Something was wrong. And then I woke up and said, oh, I don't want to do this. Hmm. And I had to let a lot of people down and I had to say, look, this is not right for me. And I had to move on. And I look back to this moment in my life, this is about a year ago. And I thank God that I made the decision to back out of that uh, with certain things that have transpired with some of these people that I was dealing with being wrapped up in a political campaign would not have been a good thing for me. Hmm. It would have actually been a very destructive thing. I would likely be hating my life right now. What was gnawing at you and telling you to to stop making or to not make that decision? Because I wasn't ready, because I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. Hmm. And because now I'm a lot more disillusioned with the political system than I was a year ago. And so at that time, I wasn't ready and wasn't doing it for the right reasons. And now I realize that I'm not interested in being a cog in the wheel of a machine that would run me over and throw me away in a heartbeat. It is not what I want for my life. It is not something that is going to bring me joy. I am not going to be on my deathbed and wonder whether or not I would have been somehow more fulfilled by becoming a congressman. If I wanted to become a congressman, I would become a congressman. I do not want that life. Hmm. So, okay, let's, uh, let's actually bring this to what we were talking about. Um, even before this podcast started, um, yeah. we were talking about the idea of uh, building your own platform and yes. the idea of uh, putting out your own communication and, um, being not being beholden to one side or the other or to one media company or the other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if uh, when we're looking out maybe like three to five years into the future, you know, what would have to happen within those three to five years for you to look back and be like, I fucking did that and I'm proud of it? What would have to happen is number one, I would have to have some pretty clear set financial goals and I would have to find a way to hit them. Mm-hmm. Um but also, and like you and I were talking about before we started doing this podcast, and this is what I got from, if you want to define conservatism or whatever, this is what I got from this entire thing. And this is what I get from conservatism. This is like the biggest message that I get from it. This is what made this concept um, as, a, as a cultural idea, as a, belief, as a set of belief systems work for me. It is that everything is in my control. The power to do these things is in my control. It is not in anybody else's control. It is not up to some network or some organization or some entity to make me me. I made myself this when I took the power in this thing right here that all of us have, a powerful machine that you can make ridiculous amounts of money on when I took that power into my own hands and decided that I was going to stop waiting for people to pick me up and make me a star. I made myself Mm. a star. I love that. I love that. So not a lot of people know this, but um, about uh, two years ago before I started the whole Twitter uh, thing, 
And, uh, you know, I actually had this opportunity to work with one of the biggest uh, fitness guys uh, on the planet. And he wanted me to run his coaching company. He was like, hey, let's uh, profit share. Let's, let's, you know, kind of like, you know, we're going to make millions and whatever. And, and I'm pretty yeah. sure he's, he's doing pretty well for himself. But it was at that point in time, I was like, okay, I actually had to take a week to really think about it, got back to him. Once I thought about it, and I was just like, I, I, I can't do this. Uh, it, it sounds like the opportunity sounds so lucrative, but I need to bet on myself. I need mm -hmm. to bet on me. And if I say join up in this little, um, let's just say joint venture with you, then I'm not going to be able to see what would happen if I can actually just try it off and do it on my own. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's something that is somewhat recurring uh, in my life as well. It's just like you have this, uh, sometimes you have these opportunities to really uh, piggyback on other people's you know, success or whatnot and, and joint venture or partner up with them. When sometimes that is, not, that is kind of like the lazy choice, the, yeah. the most difficult choice is like to, to do it on your own. Yeah. And to to push it on your own to see exactly what you're made of. It doesn't mean that you don't ask for help. It doesn't mean that you don't ask for mentorship. But what it does mean is that you you're going to figure it out. And you know sometimes we just ask. We want to piggyback or we want to ask people for partnership or whatever. But the reality is, it's like no. Let's let's bet on ourselves and let's see exactly what happens in regards to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, you know, I think you're absolutely right. And and betting on yourself is. Look, that's how you make And I tell people all the time, it's really funny when I was at Essence Fest over the weekend, you, you talk to a lot of people about, you know, entrepreneurship and all that stuff. And I think I was like saddled up to the bar. So like this very strong, like Prosecco and Grand Marnie. I was like, uh, but I was talking to the, uh, the bartender. She had was about to get her degree. Um, and, you know, we were all about that. You know, somebody getting her education and all that stuff, especially in New Orleans, that's a tough place. And she said, well, I don't know if I want to go work for somebody or if I want to do it myself. And I was like, nobody ever got rich working for anybody else. <laughs> and everybody at the counter was just like, yeah, you know, it, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So so it would be in your control. You would be doing it on your own. Yeah. And um, and what what would I what would you actually want to say to someone who is uh, in your position maybe like three years ago, who's just starting up and doesn't necessarily know where to start, doesn't necessarily know what to do? Yeah, uh, yeah. What kind of advice would you give to someone who wants to make something of themselves? Um, you have to have focus. You have to have discipline. Yeah. You cannot worry yourself and bother yourself with what other people are doing. Yeah. Um, you really cannot. It's why if you go to my Instagram page, I follow 17 people and I follow people that are motivational in some way, culture pages in one way. I do not follow a whole bunch of other influencers. I don't follow. I don't care what anybody else is doing. So focus on yourself. Focus on your path because everybody has their own path. Mm -hmm. And my path is not your path. Your path is not their path. Everybody has their own focus and everybody has something different and interesting to bring to the table. And I think that sometimes when we focus on what other people are doing, we miss out on what makes what we have to offer special. Yeah. I was talking to a friend about this and, um, you know, one of, we actually, 
saw like one of our friends just go from like 10k to like 100k on instagram we're just like oh fuck like yeah what am i doing with my life kind of yeah, thing yeah. And, and and when we compare ourselves to other people we don't realize like all the all the stuff that happens in the background we're also comparing like apples and oranges together uh their particular you know set of goals and their particular ways of going about it their particular uh talents and means is very different from yours and the more that we kind of like focus on other people's uh either success or what they're doing and like you know should we be doing that whatever it is it, it kind of takes us away from that inherent feel inside of us that says no 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 this is this is what we want to do this yeah. is how we want to do it and if we just put our focus here and just like you know show up do the work every single day you know, it's going to, it's going to happen for you at one point in time. It's going to happen. So I love that. So, okay. I have some rapid fire questions for you yes. to kind of like uh, close this up a little bit. I've been loving our conversation. Uh, as always, we just have like awesome conversations together. Um, so number one, who are your heroes? Um, one of my personal heroes is a man named Bayard Rustin. And if people don't know who that is, this was an, uh, openly gay black dude in the 60s, by the way, who was one of the chief organizers of the March on Washington, hmm. um, Martin Luther King's March on Washington. That is one of my heroes. Okay. And honestly, strangely enough, this next one is going to be a little, sound a little crazy to your audience. One of my personal heroes is Bethany Frankel. Bethany hmm. Frankel from the Real Housewives of New York City. Yeah self-made multi 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 millionaire many 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 times over um she's one of my personal heroes because like me she was a late bloomer she didn't start happening until her late 30s um she is somebody that bets on herself she is a straight talker mm. she is no bs and she's kind of like one of my personal heroes and apparently we're kind of connected uh in a way tangentially in in miami i'm pretty sure i'll meet her at, at some point i don't fan out over people yeah. um but i would probably be like look you know your your business acumen um is inspiring so literally <laughs> that's a pretty strange set of heroes but uh those are those are my two personal heroes and honestly yeah. i will tell you i'm gonna lump the last three into one yeah. um my drill sergeants yeah my drill sergeants who over the course of nine months taught me the fundamental lessons of what it what it is to be a man what it is to succeed what it is to push through and to win i have to uh, give you credit there as well because any a weak man would would not necessarily be able to go through the shit that you went through and if you're if you're wondering what he went through is it like just read his book uh basically it, it, it outlines everything that uh, we're kind of alluding to but it, it, you know another person m may have faltered under those conditions mm -hmm. and you didn't you took it you took the lesson and it made you what you are today which is uh, which is something that uh, that I hope you're. I'm pretty sure you're super proud of. Um, all right, what is uh, your mission? My mission is I think that, and this sounds crazy, <laughs> as as divisive as some of the stuff uh, that I say may seem to some people. My mission is fundamentally: I love America. I am speaking as an American American that loves this country because it has afforded me so much opportunity 
The things that I've gotten the chance to experience, nobody in my family has ever even dreamt of experiencing before. And I get this opportunity because I'm, I'm an American. And so I think that my mission in some capacity is to try to bring Americans together, to try to restore some sort of semblance of common sense of love for thy neighbor um, of values that I think that all Americans and in people, you know, all over the world, but specifically Americans um, can get, can gain a lot of value from. Yeah. I love that. And uh, you do speak your truth and that's actually what, a lot of America needs at this very moment, yeah. uh, not to pussyfoot around the issues, but to actually speak uh, the truth and yes. your own truth. Um, what's been your greatest adversity and how did you overcome it? Um, my greatest adversity to tell you the truth and is something that I struggle with. My greatest adversity um, is a lot of the abuse that I took as a young person, hmm. a lot of the abuse. I mean, I took a lot of, a lot of different types of abuse as a young person. I would say, you know, I did not have a good childhood. I've spent a lot of my adult years sort of trying to recover from that, trying to learn the lessons, trying to move on from it. And so that's it. And I think going through those levels of abuse, but also coming out on the other side and really dealing with them. And I mean, really going through therapy and doing all the stuff to, to deal with that stuff. Um, that has been my greatest adversity. You know, all of this stuff that happens in life. Oh, you know, oh, some oh, some political figures don't talk to me anymore because all this stuff. And oh, I'm you know, I had these friends and they don't talk to me or why? Why? Like, who cares? It's like who cares? Yeah. It pales in comparison to the shit I went through <laughs> the first sixteen years of my life. Yeah. Uh, and also, I, I would say like a part of adulthood is just reparenting ourselves, especially yeah. if we, especially just filling the holes that uh, our parents didn't necessarily fill, you mm -hmm. know, and, um, and, uh, and one thing I, I would also like just to point out there is that uh, your adversity is, uh, it seems like it's also your greatest strength that like you don't, you know, you, you are who you are, because a lot of people go through that, they don't make it out the other end, man, mm -hmm. they don't. And, um, I, I kind of look at it like this as well. It's like uh, these types of things that happen to you, they can either burn you up. It's, it's literal energy. It's like they can burn you up or they can actually fuel you to yeah. greater heights. Um, and and yeah. some people, some people really do deal with some of this stuff. I have known people that have dealt, well, dealt with similar issues that I've dealt with. And you can go the complete opposite direction yeah. with this stuff. You can go into the bottle, you can go into sex addiction, you can go into drug addiction, you can go into some really, really, really bad shit. Mm. And I've kind of made the decision to go out the other way. And also, I've kind of made the decision, I'm generally a happy person because working out as a stress reliever and I work out so much, I get a lot of endorphins. So I'm, I'm just, I'm not an angry person. I've never, I like, I, I, I've never been an angry person. Uh, people have done crazy things to me and I'm just like, Oh, well, you know, it's kind of like, I wish you well. And I hope <laughs> you heal from whatever it is that you're going through that would lead you to make those decisions. I love it. But I'm a happy uh, dude. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You are. And, um, 
you know, it's just, uh, and happiness is one of those things. It's just like, uh, ephemeral too. It's just one of these things that come and go and, you know, just having the demeanor of, uh, just peacefulness, mm-hmm. especially that comes from like the physical body too. Cause when your body is like stressed, like when you stress your body out and you just like deplete it of all energy, yeah. pretty much like your mind has nothing, like your mind doesn't keep these energies inside of it either. Yeah. So, so whoever's you listening saw that to initial this. you saw that initial before photo oh, of me. did that yeah. look like a happy person <laughs> no comment um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right if you were to write a message on a billboard for the world to see what would you write believe in yourself love it that's it yeah i love it um okay so last question is where can people find rob smith Yes. Uh, so everybody that's listening out there, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rob Smith online. And I do have a podcast called can't cancel Rob Smith. If you think I'm I love that name, um, I love that go name, ahead man. and find that, um, Apple podcasts or iHeart podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. Awesome. And Rob, thanks so much for, uh, you know, well, spending the last, uh, few months with you, uh, has been amazing. I've loved, I've actually just really take a lot of, uh, a lot of joy of just seeing you transform both uh, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And, um, and yeah, man, uh, I love this uh, conversation as well. Uh, definitely uh, got to see a really cool side of yourself, uh, especially when not talking about the politics and all that kind of stuff. So really, really enjoyed it. All right. Enjoyed you too. Thanks, brother. All right. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to The Dan Go Show. We have some amazing episodes coming your way, so make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. If you're already subscribed and today's episode hit home for you, please share this episode with some that you know who'd benefit from listening. Take care and see you every week on your favorite podcasting app.